Lucas on Life. Hello, welcome to Lucas on Life. I'm Jeff Lucas and you're listening to Premier Christian Radio. This week it's Lucas on Change and as New Year's Eve approaches and resolutions are made, will we be any different this time next year? The inevitable is not actually inevitable. The visiting preacher, having called all those who wanted prayer for healing to make their way to the front of the church, was being just a little too enthusiastic for my liking. Rushing up and down with a bottle of anointing oil in his hands, he paused briefly with each one, but spent noticeably longer with those who had less challenging maladies. The people using wheelchairs were given just a brief moment, but those with minor aches and pains seemed to be getting a lot of attention. One chap with a stiff arm was told to wave it about after prayer, and when he did so and claimed that there was no pain, the congregation clapped and cheered. Call me cynical if you like, but I believe that leaders are required to exercise healthy scepticism when big claims are made. The preacher, thrilled to get a glimmer of a result, yelled breathlessly into the microphone, That's it. You're healed. I wasn't so sure. But this much I know for certain. While the preacher was leaving town tomorrow, as a local leader, I had to stay behind and perhaps clear up the damage done either by hurried claims of healing or to those who'd been stirred to false hope, but for whom nothing had actually happened. Now, please don't misunderstand me. I believe that God still heals today. It's just that four decades of ministry, most of it based in local churches, has shown me that genuine, authenticated healing doesn't happen as often as we'd like, or as often as it is claimed. And that reality has caused me to groan when news of a serious or terminal illness breaks into a local congregation. Rightly stirred into prayerful action, everyone goes into furious intercessory mode, calling upon the Lord for a miracle right now. The fact that the miracle rarely arrives has caused me to almost unconsciously drift into an attitude of accepting inevitability as inevitable. When the grim-faced doctor proffers that terrible diagnosis, I tend to believe that it's going to go that way that he or she suggests, however much we pray. But then I reread one of my favourite stories in the Bible, and I'm challenged to think and believe for the impossible and for change, radical change, once more. It's that account of jailed Peter being supernaturally set free as a result of the church's prayers. You can find the account of this in Acts chapter 12. As far as tough situations go, it's right up there. And Luke, in sharing what happened, wants us to know just how impossible Peter's situation was. The ex-fisherman was being held in a maximum security situation, presumably because the authorities had heard that God had previously broken his servants out of jail. Herod, the puppet king who had ordered the arrest, meant serious business. James had already been beheaded. Peter had been temporarily spared by a calendar formality. Executions weren't permitted during Passover, so Herod was just waiting a few days before putting the church's leading spokesman to the sword. Not only was Peter on death row, but he was being watched by four squads of four soldiers each. Everything looked utterly hopeless. It was surely time to plan a funeral because Peter's death looked inevitable. And there was another reason for the church to be tempted to think that absolutely nothing could be done. 
Instead of praying, they could have decided that seeing as Peter was dying a martyr's death and that that was clearly predicted by Jesus, you can read about that in John 21, that this was actually the fulfillment of that prophecy. And so there was nothing to be done, no prayers to be prayed. Jesus had predicted trouble ahead for both Peter and James. When James' mother Salome had asked Jesus to allocate thrones for her sons, Jesus solemnly warned them that the cup of suffering was ahead for them both. That promise had been tragically fulfilled now, as James was executed at Herod's command. Peter, similarly, had been told that he would die a martyr's death during the lakeside breakfast that Jesus shared with his friends after the resurrection. Now, martyrdom seemed certain. Within hours, Peter would surely suffer the same fate. The church could have shrugged their shoulders, comforted each other that this was at least something that Jesus had clearly foreseen, and accepted the tragedy as God's will. But they didn't. Their discerning hearts urged them to continue in prayer. But even in that praying, they wrestled with the thought that they were offering a request that could never be answered. Put simply, they expected Peter to die even as they asked. Their response when he eventually showed up after an angelic jailbreak makes that plain. Meanwhile, back at the jail, an angel wakes Peter up and has to give careful commands about him getting dressed because Peter thinks he's dreaming. Once out of the prison, still sleepy Peter heads for the place where the church is gathered and a comedic scene unfolds. So busy praying that they didn't want to break off to open the door, Rhoda, a servant girl, is sent to answer the knocking. That action is rather strange, isn't it? The church is in the midst of terrifying persecution and the knock at the door could have come from soldiers sent to carry out yet more arrests, but a lone young woman is sent to open it. Rhoda is stunned, but also filled with joy as she discovers who's out there. And so much so, she rushes back into the prayer meeting without even opening the door. She breathlessly shares that Peter is outside, but her claim is met with dismissive incredulity. This gaggle of faithful Christians who are praying for Peter thinks that she must be out of her mind, and they tell her so. What she is saying seems so ridiculous, they dismiss her report as far-fetched, even insane notion. What God had done was beyond the realm of their thinking. A popular idea among the Jews at the time was the belief that the spirit or ghost of a person lingered for a few days after their death. That's why the praying faithful thought that this was what Rhoda had seen, and that's most likely why Jesus took such pains to prove that he still had a physical body when he appeared to his disciples. His was very definitely a physical bodily resurrection. So why were those at the prayer gathering convinced that Peter must surely be dead? For one thing, as we know, James was dead. When our hopes have been disappointed in the past, we're more reluctant to continue in expectation as a result. The bruises and scars of difficulty and tragedy can rob us of faith for the present or for the future. And then surely this group was fearful and nervous too, because if James was dead and Peter was also gone, who would be next? Fear limits God, which is one reason why I fear fear. Fear says that God might be able to do only so much, but surely not that which is beyond reason. Fear says he can't do the impossible. So, just jumping back into the story, Peter is still stuck outside. It took an angel to get Peter out of prison, but once the angel left his side, he couldn't get into the prayer meeting. 
One door opened all by itself and another one slammed back in his face. He is still effectively on the run from death row. He's still unsafe and vulnerable to being picked up and arrested by any passing soldier. But he keeps on knocking and his patient is finally rewarded. At last, he walks into a prayer gathering being held with the sole purpose of petitioning God for his release, only to be met by a stunned response. We can all go through moments and seasons when faith seems absurd, even mad, when we hear of yet another senseless atrocity, or when that faithful Christian meets a horrible end, when an evil despot prospers, there seems no rhyme or reason in the universe, and we edge to the awful thought, what if there is no God at the heart of everything? When Christians have those thoughts, they can feel like doubting traitors. How can they really be Christian if these ideas circle their minds, or so they fear? These thoughts are normal. That praying group were right in the middle of a miracle, but all the while they were thinking that claiming divine intervention like that was just mad. Faith is not a consistent walk. Sometimes it's an uphill trek, and doubt is a normal part of that for most. So, as we go into the new year, if trusting feels crazy, don't heap condemnation on yourself and make matters worse. Whatever you feel, may God help you and me to trust him anyway. Because not only is what is difficult possible, but the impossible is possible too. Lately, I've revived prayers for seemingly impossible situations in my own life, prayers that I'd neglected because, frankly, I'd given up. But I've started asking again, and in the new year I want to keep asking, because with God all things are possible. Yes, we don't see miracles as much as we'd like. But that shouldn't prevent us from realising that they are still possible and that we are still called to pray. So when we're disappointed, let's pray again. When we're fearful, let's pray again and then some. At the beginning of this episode, Herod was the power broker, the man who held all the cards in his hand. But by the end of it, he is the weak, feeble person who dies as a result of the judgment of God. Luke's description of Herod as being eaten by worms is probably related to abdominal pains referred to in an account from Josephus, the Jewish historian. But in contrast with Herod's demise is this statement. But the word of the Lord spread, one of Luke's favourite terms. He uses it twice elsewhere in the book of Acts. Luke wants us to know that the demagogue falls, the cell door opens, the Roman security system fails, and the praying church, even in the midst of its doubting, triumphs. But there's just one other element to this story that we shouldn't miss, and that is that even when the inevitable is thwarted and a miracle does come, that still doesn't resolve all questions. As the gathered church family realise that their prayers have actually been answered, spare a thought for Salome, the mother of James. Remember him? He had been executed. And the question that must have tormented her was this. If God could release Peter, why wasn't her beloved boy spared? While everybody else was celebrating at Peter's release, perhaps she was quietly weeping in a corner, trying to come to terms with her own grief while Peter was receiving congratulatory slaps on the back. It's often been said that unanswered prayer creates questions and conflict, but the truth is that answered prayer creates its own issues. In our local church now, we are dealing with a tragedy where some were wonderfully spared in a horrible road accident, 
while two other much-loved members of our church family were killed. And every testimony of healing has the same effect, not only on those who continue to suffer with long-term illness, but upon those who love them and have to witness their suffering. So why was one prayer answered, but another not? When miracles happen, let's not hide them, but give thanks to the God who performed them. But let's also be caring and sensitive towards those who continue to wait and wonder, lest we hurt them with our joy. It's called rejoicing with those who rejoice and weeping with those who weep. Everything can change. The inevitable is not inevitable. Let's know that as we go into this new year. But when the dynamic does happen, let's be sensitive and kind, thoughtful and prayerful to those who are still waiting for the big intervention. Hi, I'm Sam Hales. If you're enjoying Lucas on Life, you'll love the Profile podcast. Every week, we sit down with a leading Christian to find out more about their life, faith and testimony. Here's Jackie Pullinger. This is very short life and eternal life is forever. We're going to feel all stupid for eternity if we wasted this one. Listen to the full interview with Jackie Pullinger now on The Profile podcast. Just search for The Profile wherever you get your podcast from or visit premierchristianradio.com forward slash The Profile. I'm Jeff Lucas, this is Lucas on Life, and as the new year beckons, we're thinking about change. The truth that we're all broken, but there is power available for us. Let me say it again, everything is broken. Perhaps why, at this time of the year, that's why we gather up those resolutions, because we'd like to be more whole, more complete. Everything is broken. Every person, marriage, organisation, church, business... No matter how together and whole they may seem, there are hairline fractures and deficiencies because we live in a world that is broken and fallen. As followers of Jesus, we're being perfected, but we are not yet perfect. This is a vital truth for us to grasp because we Christians are visionary people with high hopes. And when those hopes are dashed, particularly hopes about ourselves, change, then we can feel like our faith is hollow and pointless. I'm no longer surprised when people make mad decisions rather than good resolutions, when people blunder into destructive sin, or when fellow Christian leaders serve God with mixed motives and sometimes clumsy actions. Nobody ever did anything out of 100% pure motives, with the obvious exception of Jesus. Like me, and like you, they are broken, under-construction people. One day, when Jesus comes, wholeness will be ours. In the meantime, the realisation that everything is broken is no invitation or licence to sin, but is surely a vital antidote against devastating disappointment. But that truth, the truth of our brokenness, is only half of the truth. The Apostle Paul tells us that there is treasure in earthen vessels. And so although everything is broken, that's not the end of the story. Often, when we think about what goes on inside our heads and hearts, we focus only on the negative, recognising that we are fallen, fragile human beings. And surely that's what we hear from Paul himself as he confesses in Scripture that he tends to do what he should not do and shies away from what is right. His words are so honest and vulnerable that some have even concluded that he was talking about his life before he found Christ, a conclusion that, frankly, I disagree with. 
Having Jesus in your life doesn't end the struggle because the spirit is still willing and the flesh is still weak. But we're quite wrong to think only about our inner beings in negative terms because there is another power at work within us too, the power of the Holy Spirit actively working to help us to daily shape us into all that God wants us to be in Christ. I've been surprised by that beautiful impelling. Faced with moments of temptation, I've suddenly found myself desperately wanting to do what is right with such compulsion that it conquered the nudge to do what was wrong. I wondered where that overwhelming surge came from, and I concluded that this was more than a rebuke from conscience or simply a hope that I could live by what was morally right, because this was true power, empowerment that rescued me from potential disaster. So everything is broken. You, me, everyone. But in the midst of our brokenness, as we navigate our way into the uncharted territory of another new year, there is power, resurrection power, to impel us, to reconstruct us, and to heal us. Thank God for that. Who knows what is ahead, but as followers of Christ, this we affirm by faith, we will never ever be alone again, and power for change is available. So whatever your hopes and dreams, whatever those resolutions are that you're making during this season, have a wonderful, happy new year, and God bless you. Lucas on Life.